0: This week on the Defense Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a step forward for the Pentagon's audit effort. And the cloud journey for the Army is just getting started. It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Welcome to the Defense Scoop podcast presented by Salonis. Every week you'll learn what's going on in defense technology. I'm the host of the Defense Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. The Defense Department is about to begin year four of its full audit. The department has more than 400 IT systems that have a piece of the department's financial management system. Chris Radich is vice president of solution engineering for public sector at Solonis. Solonis sponsors today's Defense Scoop podcast. Chris, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What's the biggest issue that the department has in your view now as it prepares to take the next step try to move to the next level to hit their 2027 deadline for uh, for getting to a clean audit welcome
1: the the scale is tremendous you know you kind of just take a step back and have a little bit of empathy towards all the men and women working on getting to a clean financial audit and you also just think through it's not merely an exercise in compliance so the audits are all about getting more efficient and effective in delivering the mission, making better decisions that ultimately empower the warfighter in a global arena. So that, that's the context. I think the uh, the number one challenge, it's been football analogy. I watched a lot of football over the past weekend, Francis. The football analogy is we we get inside the red zone. The audits get cleaner. And then it's a major major uh deficiency that's found and we're back we're back to the 2025 yard line so um you know i think the first one i always like to talk about is sprawling technology and you mentioned the 400 it systems you talk about the decades of erp investments nine erps tens of billions of dollars and the scale makes it orders of magnitude more difficult so how do we start getting a handle on the technology landscape is is absolutely the number one challenge that we have to continue to battle through.
0: All right. About that challenge you wrote recently, modernizing and consolidating those 400 IT systems is a massive challenge. Yes, it is. Uh, I agree with you a hundred percent. How do you meet that challenge and what level of modernizing and consolidating will make the department more effective, more auditable um, or and what's not, given what we all know about what the department's dealing with regarding resources?
1: It's a great question. Navy Navy did a great job. So you always kind of start with showing a, a service within and a program. Navy ERP eliminated 100 business systems as a result of a rationalization effort and their their ERP investment. There's other examples that didn't go so well you have to break apart these big monolithic investments into smaller pieces, right? In in the IT world, you call it business capability modeling, you call it postmodern ERP. And if you can get smaller on your investments, then you can start to, to successfully deploy capability. I think the other piece is a lot of the audit findings are blaming technology and some of the redundant capabilities, the data quality. But we have to start thinking about this as a business process issue. Once we once we wrangle the technology, begin to say, all right, we've rationalized down an order of magnitude. We need to start thinking of how do we leverage data in a more effective manner in order to run the business of the Department of Defense.
0: So that's, that, that's and that strikes me that that's what the Navy was willing to do that maybe led to their success was uh, a lolly jenkins was on the program within the last six months or so i think talking about that exact thing which is rather than just automating or digitizing the processes that they already had to make them work faster they decided what they really needed to accomplish and what the system needed to then do in order to accomplish that sounds like that's what you're saying the the, the type of analysis is that's required all across the department
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The, uh, I'm sure you've heard of this one. The F F 35 program has been at the yeah. center of these audits. Yeah. I've heard about it wanna, a little bit. I, just... I, I don't want to go too deep on that uh, <laughs> because there's experts that, that are, that have are far deeper into that problem space, but ultimately the problem that we're trying to solve that, that illuminates where it's assets and parts can't be traced back to the, the initial purchase is we have to ultimately have transparency on from optimizing budget to execution. And how do you do that? You can't do that manually in an organization as large as the Department of Defense with is with such complicated projects and ultimately assets and liabilities. So you have to you have to find a way to thread data together. You know, in my world, it's building data models in order to visualize processes end to end. That's what I do. And I just think there's this great opportunity to start saying, rather than spending more money on audits, which is that whole football analogy of getting back to the 2025, when you're you're right on the precipice of the gold line, and let's carve off some investment to drive more data and analytics that can help us through this problem.
0: All right. But you also pointed out among your three big financial management challenges that Resources are going to be part of this. If if the budget is not going to be there, how does one make the business case that these investment, these particular investments, the ones that you just described, are the best ones to use the resources in a constrained environment?
1: I think that's the, the, the conundrum. It's on one end, the financial management workforce is, is overtaxed and being pushed to new ERP systems, which require training. I mean, that's just been a big effort. So it it truly is the the kind of bimodal adage of you have your workforce who is living in the ERP and driving value there in terms of reconciliation, budget approvals, just their day-to-day tasks. But you almost need another task force that's driving the data analytics efforts. Because those skill sets are completely different than a traditional FM employee, civilian or active duty. And those skill sets are data science, writing SQL scripts, understanding Python, understanding process mining tools like Salonis. I mean, it's uh, you, and you, you can't embed that within what's going on on the day to day, just too much too much complexity.
0: All right. The three items that you listed as challenges, I think we've covered the, the big financial management and data systems issue, uh, financial management resource challenges and audit readiness. We talked about the fact that 2027 is uh, the goal that Pentagon leaders have set to get to a clean audit. So the solutions, you've got two here. The first is shifting from reactive audit to proactive process transparency. What does that mean, Chris?
1: Well, that that is, are we able to finally through data visualize and this is by this is by building a data model. You know, this is not throwing thousands of people at the problem or auditors and then remediation plans. Can we focus on building a data model that brings to life optimized budget to execution for each of the nine ERPs? So nine data models, nine projects, and I think it will absolutely change the game in terms of being proactive heading into audit because it's going to tell you the processes that have deficiencies in advance and not depend on that manual, annual exercise to, uh, to drive towards that activity.
0: So you'll know as you go when there are bumps in the road instead of getting a snapshot at the end.
1: Precisely. Precisely. If you don't have a purchase requisition opened and that's a common process variance, we call it before you open a purchase order, this, this tooling, this process mining tooling will proactively alert you of that deficiency. And that's all data. That's all data modeling.
0: Process variance is not a term I'd heard before, but I like that. It sounds like a Pentagon term to me. It,
1: uh, it should be. And every process has thousands of variants of how they're actually being executed in the organization and if you've ever been in the pentagon for one you have to wear the right shoes in order to uh to make it back to your car with all the walking yes but you, you see the comp- complexity as soon as you walk in the door and you appreciate the mission of serving the warfighter
0: um the other solution that you propose is what you call the new era of the dod process transformation expert what does that person need to be able to do? What skills does that person need to have that that person may or may not have now or may or may not have enough of now?
1: Yeah, uh, I think two, there's two elements. One is someone that understands core financial management processes, and that could be through a previous life, right. Of working on these programs, whether it's uh, procure to pay budget to authorize but then it's layering on. And this is where we had talked about earlier in the conversation, the data and analytics skills, how to work with data sets, integrate into data sets, build queries, leverage process mining tools. And that's the biggest opportunity. That's what excites me.
0: I'm gonna ask you the same question to close out that I ask pretty much every DOD financial management person. Uh, Over the years, when we talk about whatever their accomplishments or goals have been regarding the audit 2027, let's say, is the date for the first clean audit. let's say they make it. How do how do you propose? How do you recommend that the services, uh, the other offices and the department as a whole perpetuate that? So they're also clean in 2028 and also clean in 2029 and beyond, Chris.
1: That is a wonderful question to end on, and uh, I'm going to attempt to provide an inspirational answer. Um, Once again, this is a process issue, right? So the, the, the challenges with the audits have been, you have a request for financial data, ultimately tied to an asset or a purchase, and everyone scrambles to go and get that data. So when we, we talk about clean, clean audit, and you'll hear this from DoD leadership, and it inspires me. We're talking about repeatable processes that are well-documented. We're talking about data sets that are accessible and you can explore them on a real-time basis. So I, I hate to go with this is a technology solution But at the end of the day, technology is going to power us to that first clean audit and beyond. Because if not, we're at the 25 yard line uh, right after the clean audit is complete.
0: Chris Radich, great to talk to you as always. Thanks very much for coming on the program.
1: Always a pleasure, Francis. Thank you.
0: You can read more about the Pentagon's audit in today's show notes at defensescooppodcast.com. The cloud is a crucial part of the Army's future fight, according to Army CIO Raj Iyer. Two of the Army's top technology projects depend on the cloud Project Overmatch, the Army's piece of joint all domain command and control, and the Army's new bring your own device strategy. Paul Puckett, the Army's director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office, he tells Defense Scoop's John Harper why the Army's going all in on the cloud.
2: First and foremost, we think that access, uh, you. Uh, ubiquitous and global access, might I add, to compute and storage is really paramount for the amount of information that we're generating today in order for us to be able to get access to information, make sense of that information, and then make decisions uh, at the speed of need when it comes to fighting and winning wars. Uh, And we think that the skill sets that come along with leveraging cloud computing uh, are really critical in order for us to deliver the digital infrastructure that we need Uh, that supports the applications and services that are going to be securing and brokering that data uh, when we talk about a joint fight uh, in both uh, competition as well as in conflict.
3: Great. And to what extent are you looking to implement hybrid cloud or multi-cloud environments? I know that, you know, within kind of the cloud computing concept, you know, there are different pathways that organizations can uh, go down. So you can you uh, tell us about what your agency is doing in that regard?
2: Absolutely. So the United States Army is leveraging both a hybrid as well as a multi-cloud construct in order to execute our mission. And I'll unpack that pretty quickly Uh, from a multi-cloud perspective. uh, We believe that there is value in specific purpose of infrastructure and platform as a service offerings, as well as various software as a service offerings that are being uh, provided to DOD specification. And we think that leveraging each of these purposefully uh, when we talk about the need for immediate access to infrastructure as a service uh, or certain marketplaces that have been provided by cloud service providers that have certain platform as a service offerings that accelerates our ability to get capability into the field has value We think that that multitude of those complemented with some uh, very purposeful software as a service uh, initiatives such as uh, Office 365, which you see and use today, together complement and deliver really the spectrum of capability that when we talk about uh, the multitude of cloud services from a multi-cloud perspective. But we also think that some of those commercial offerings uh, need to work in concert with the infrastructure that we maintain on premise, Uh, probably more so OCONUS, when we talk about data sovereignty laws that essentially our data needs to reside within compute and storage resources that sit in uh, a physical footprint that the United States government has oversight uh, over. And so we need to design some of our systems, uh, I wouldn't say all, but some of our very purposeful systems to function within a hybrid cloud construct where those public and those private resources, their infrastructure works in concert, And we see a common control and management plane for infrastructure so that we can talk about workloads that can essentially be deployed in either a public resource CONUS or be able to be pushed forward in a private architecture. And that includes also our mounted constructs as well within a very tactical formation. Uh, We think that that digital infrastructure from a hybrid perspective really needs to cover all domains uh, when we talk about the way that we fight and win wars and how we also partner with our partners in the joint community.
3: And great. And that leads me into my next question. You know, can you kind of you know, maybe flesh out a little bit more um, how your agency um, and the Army uh, you know, writ large are uh, looking to work with uh, the other services or OSD or other uh, DOD components to implement uh, your cloud strategy?
2: Absolutely. So probably the best way to answer this is to really break apart um, our initiative with the cloud into three components, and there's definitely more to it. But oftentimes when I talk about cloud, I'll talk about buying the cloud, securing the cloud, and then building capabilities uh, with the cloud. And when I say the cloud, I mean cloud computing, whether it's a private or public resource, and so, from a buying perspective, uh, today in the Army, uh, we have a construct that we call CAMO. It's the Cloud Account Management Optimization Initiative. And that's our way of buying cloud infrastructure. Uh, it's akin to, and I kind of see it as a precursor to the greater DoD initiative to be able to buy cloud services at scale that you see in JWCC, the Joint Warfighting. Uh, cloud computing services uh, that the, the DISA is leaning into, born out of uh, the initiative uh, within the DoD. And so really we see buying as a critical mechanism. We have to have vehicles and mechanisms by which we buy cloud computing services at a reduced and essentially constantly dropping rate. I see too often the way we buy cloud infrastructure are these very volatile uh, rates and numbers because of all these different mechanisms and all these different layers for how we buy services. Buying needs to be a just a commodity resource. And so we've delivered that for the army uh, with Camo and we're looking forward to see uh, what rates and what lead times JWCC gets to so we can leverage the best vehicle to get immediate access to cloud infrastructure. But that's just buying. We need the ability to secure cloud services to DOD specifications so that we can actually see and understand what in the world is actually going on within that infrastructure, whether it's a private resource or a public resource. And so aligning to the secure cloud computing architecture and all of the variations that it's going to take as we incorporate components of a Zero Trust architecture are being delivered in what we call C Army. And so that's really establishing the domain and the presence and more so the security services and monitoring and remediation capabilities for the army to leverage cloud computing securely. Uh, And then finally, third, which I think is the most paramount when it comes to our ability to connect and share information and data is how we build capabilities within that. And so we're leveraging to the greatest extent possible open architectures, standardized interfaces, starting to externalize the way that we want to publish as well as consume uh, data. And where possible doing that to a commercial standard and where that doesn't exist, working together with the joint services and commercial industry to create uh, joint standards where we can start to align with the commercial practices of the world rather than constantly doing our own weird proprietary custom thing in a very one-off way, which we often find is entirely too costly. And I believe that that open architecture and standard interfaces that allows us to essentially publish and consume information and data uh, in a more open way, I really believe that that's the core component to joint all domain command and control, right? When we talk about uh, any sensor, any shooter, all the different uh, essentially engineering threads that compose CHAD-C2, really it's the sum of the eaches of the services. And a key enabler to that is ubiquitous access to uh, digital infrastructure through being able to buy cloud services. Uh, critical to that are some of the common security services and essentially ways that we can establish our domain and enterprise authentication with how we secure these workloads, but more importantly, how we design for more open architectures with standardized interfaces, where now we are simply uh, just a component of this joint uh, ecosystem, where we can securely publish, discover, and share data in real time.
3: Great, and you know, you touched upon you know the uh, cybersecurity uh, aspect of this, um, and and you mentioned uh, zero trust uh, in your comments, but can you kind of uh, Address uh, what the uh, path ahead is on that. I know that's uh, you know a very broad initiative throughout the U.S. government. This concept of zero trust. Can you talk about what your agency is doing to try to help the Army uh, be prepared and and implement that?
2: Absolutely. I just gave a, a chat about this just the other day. Uh, zero trust, like you know DevSecOps and all these other buzzwords. I feel like far too often people use the term, but they don't talk about the components of it. Right, the ingredients that make up that, that recipe. Uh, one of the best definitions of zero trust I ever heard, which I love, is continuously removing implicit trust in both your technology, your processes, and your people, your skill sets uh, over time. And so when we talk about that, we say, what, what does that mean? Is that we've implied trust in the way that we've designed these systems today. Like we've implied that you should be trusted because you're in our network. Well, we know when we have vulnerabilities, You know, our adversaries are now in our network, and so do we want to imply that we should trust you? And the answer is no. And so moving to a zero trust model is simply saying everything about our technology, our processes, and our people needs to constantly remove implicit trust. And so becoming more explicit with how systems share information, becoming more explicit with how people or devices or credentials are understood, and most importantly, what data and what attributes of data should be accessed and when it should be accessed. What are the criteria by which we should access and share information also has to be universally understood so that we're all speaking the same language when we talk about, I have these credentials, I'd like access to this information and for yes uh, to be the response that we get. And so when we talk about the components of Zero Trust, We're really leaning into the components of the reference architecture that complements the technology side of the house. But we're also leaning into what are our processes and procedures and how are we training our people to understand what this new paradigm looks like in practice. And so starting to train people up and truly what is the classification of this data, starting to leverage technology to help us in the classification of data, starting to capture the metadata around the information that we have so we can start to catalog what data that we have. And we can start to wrap policies around that. We can start to enforce those policies in our architecture. And so you see these shifts really for how we're delivering the components of zero trust uh, over time. There's an immense uh, push right now for what I believe is the foundation for establishing trust. And it's the way that you present a credential uh, for what you are authorized to access And having essentially that logic be universally understood across the DoD. I don't think a lot of people realize that there are a number of systems today that have built their own database for their own credentials, for their own access policies that no one else understands. And when we talk about systems sharing information in real time, we're doing these custom relationships between these two closed off systems just from an identity perspective. So elevating that logic up to the greater enterprise and federating that across the DoD, much like what was done within the intelligence community in a few years back, really is paramount to now establishing that centralized mechanism by which we say, yes, this intermediary has said we can both talk to each other because we meet criteria that now becoming a universal capability. And we can start to build the other components and how we tag our data, how we create these access policies, enforce these access policies, and start to function within a world where we should never assume that we can imply trust simply because someone is in the same network uh, as I am.
3: Great. And just one final question before we conclude. You know, what would you say are some of your biggest challenges in trying to implement uh, your cloud strategy? And what are you looking for from industry and other uh, DoD components to try to help you overcome some of those?
2: Well, I think a lot of the challenges that we've seen in the past, there've been a number of policies that have kind of inhibited the use of commercial resources and services. If you just take a step back to when uh, the very first, you know, security requirements guide was ever put out around the cloud, uh, there were a number of assumptions that were made of ways that we could and could not use commercial services, and we've started to see that those kind of barriers kind of be dropped. We've seen iterations of the security requirements kind that kind of changed over time. Kind of, we've become more mature in our capability, but more so often our like our confidence and our practices, which really is based in people's skill sets, um, to actually leverage commercial cloud services in a more secure way. And so, I think a lot of today that we see is really more so a, a mindset as well as a skill set. That's holding us back because if we just take a, a moment back, we have built over the last 20 years the skill sets around a lot of custom specialized infrastructure, very purpose built for the way that we need to do business. And as we start to use more commodity resources and services, we've got to change a little bit of our mindset for what is in the art of the possible. And so there's a skill set challenge here of a training of understanding where. Uh, In the past, we have filled the gaps of technology with processes and people's skill sets that now technology has filled those gaps. And so the line is being redrawn for where now people and processes need to complement technology so we can become better and more efficient at executing our mission. So we're training people up on where those lines have been redrawn in technology, and now it's allowing the people to put the processes in place that allows us to move faster, more secure, in a more valuable way for delivering mission uh, and capability. And so I think a lot of what you see in kind of the churn that's happening right now is, are we organized, are we structured, are we skilled, and are we kind of uh, open to the idea in a way that allows us to leverage cloud computing at scale and also delivering at the quality that we need to be better than what we've been doing before. And so. Working through the skill sets, working through those people challenges, I think is uh, when we talk about culture and some of the cultural challenge, I think that's really what people are describing is the people that are involved in the kind of muscle memory that we've built over the last 20 years. We've got to retrain new muscles now. And so sometimes that feels a little bit slow, um, but those are the things that I think that we're really investing in right now. And uh, you see some fast movers that have demonstrated like what is possible, and I think the beautiful thing that you see in the community is they're really kind of gathering around each other to learn what works, what doesn't work, what the kind of the variables were, and other people are learning how to apply and get to the same uh, type of outcomes that people are achieving, leveraging in the cloud. And so I'm really excited uh, for where we're moving in both the skill set as well as the mindset that I believe is the greatest challenge that we have right now, but also is uh, you know the, the thing that has the greatest opportunity. Uh, at the other end of
0: it. The director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency for the Army, Paul Puckett with Defense Scoop's John Harper. You can read more about the Army's cloud effort and find a link to watch the video of the entire conversation in today's show notes at defensescooppodcast.com. The Defense Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Defense Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Defense Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help me put the show together every week and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Defense Scoop podcast returns next Wednesday. I'm Francis Rose. I'll talk to you then. Thanks very much for listening.